Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. We've been considering our walk with the Lord over the last X amount of weeks and a couple of weeks ago we looked at the family unit and um, the wife's relationship to her husband and the husband's relationship to the wives. And so today we continue along that vein of looking at the building blocks for God's new society. And we come to the relationship of children towards parents and parents towards their children within the family unit. Now, before we go into Ephesians, the psalmist said in the Psalm 127, he said, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And so we see how, you know, having children is a blessing. It's it's a powerful thing, you know. If we consider it as being like, you know, arrows in the hand of a warrior, it's like, you know, children can be used to, to play havoc in the enemy's kingdom as you train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We know that in the book of Proverbs, you know, that Solomon, you know, he has much to say regarding giving instructions to parents in raising their children. And so as we scan through the book of Proverbs, we know that Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, um, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 20, chapter 7, verse 1. You see, there's a pattern there. Of how Solomon is placing heavy emphasis on on giving instruction to children. And there are many, many more examples within the book of Proverbs. And then we look in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and we see that, you know, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus, you know, speaks about the little children. And he says, suffer, allow the little children to come unto me, because such is the kingdom of God. And he says that we, you know, he says that we should be childlike in our attitude in, you know, receiving the things of the kingdom. But apart from these things, you know, in the New Testament, we only have one small portion of scripture which actually gives us specific instructions of how we are to raise our children. And that's what we find in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 3 and then verse 4 goes on to give you know the corresponding action of a parent towards the child and so if you are in Ephesians chapter 6 let us read from verse 1 to verse 4 Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 says children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Amen. So, the first thing that we notice as we consider the text before us is that the word used here for children is the word in the Greek called technon. And this is an interesting word because within the Greek language, this word technon doesn't have a specific age related to it. So as we look at the text before us, what we have to do is we have to look at the text with a broad view because it suggests that Paul is looking at a bigger picture. A bigger picture, just as we had considered in in the previous chapter, how when Paul was speaking about husbands' relationships to their wives, what was a natural thing, but it was speaking about something bigger. It was speaking about Christ's relationship to the church. And so 
what Paul is actually alluding to here is that children's obedience to their parents is equally a picture of God's rule and reign within the family. And it is actually evidence of God's future kingdom and righteousness already being established in the earth within the present. So, whatever our age, you know, maybe you heard me read the text and thought, well, I'm not a child, so I'll just zone out. No, whatever your age, whether you're a child, whether an adolescent, a young adult, a grown adult, you know, we are all children. Children to earthly parents or children to our Heavenly Father. Now, as we consider this, we know that the parent-child relationship, you know, it differs from race to race and from culture to culture. But fundamentally, the fundamental duty and responsibility of all children everywhere in every race, every culture, and every society, whether they are black or white, whether they are Jew or Gentile, is to obey their parents. It's a natural law. It's even a natural law, as Romans says, that it's written on our hearts, that we know instinctively that we are to obey our parents. And so... As the Apostle Paul is writing these things, he's drawing on both the natural elements of this parent-child relationship, but he's also drawing upon spiritual elements. So he says, children, obey your parents. And he uses the, the definite word, obey. Not if you feel like it, but obey your parents. Because, you know, it's a command to children. And it's a command to children not to get it twisted, but to obey their parents. And this word obey, looking in the Greek again, comes from the Greek word hupakeo, which means to hear and be under as a subordinate. You know, and as we consider these things, and if we consider it within the family unit, and as we've already looked at the, the husband, wife, wife, husband, relationship you know we know that there's equality there but when it comes to our children we see that you know they are to be under their parents they are to be subordinate to their parents and so this word hupakeo it also means to listen to attentively to heed or conform to a command or to authority. So as we look at these things, we just get this picture of children, whatever their age, being subject to their parents. Listening to their instruction and taking heed to what they have to say. You know, obedience has been described as the process of self-control, which often involves forsaking your own will but eventually it bears the fruit of suppressing your own sinful nature and so as children grow and they desire to do their own thing they have to learn to obey and you know we, we, we recognize that in our own lives as children of God where the temptation is to go our own way and do our own thing. And the Lord t teaches us, no, we need to obey his word. We need to obey his command. You know, my two children were very different in growing up. Joel, very much, I just had to speak to him once or twice and he got the message. But Zach, I'd say, Zach, don't do that. And Zach would look at me. I say, Zach, don't do that. And he'll be looking at me and he'll be reaching for the very thing which I'm telling him not to do. No, Zach, don't do that. And so we learn through obedience. And we all, we've all gone through the process. Some of us are still going through the process. And some of us spiritually are going through the process, as I said, with our walk in the Lord. 
And you see, Jesus is not asking us to do something which he has not already done himself. You know, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. So Jesus went through the process. We too have to go through the process of learning how to be obedient. And it starts within the family home. It starts within the family unit of being obedient to our parents. Because obedience, you know, is a fundamental component, a fundamental part of our Christian walk. And, you know, it, it, whenever I hear the word obedience, it always reminds me of, of 1 Samuel chapter 15. Where God specifically said to Saul that when you go into the land, whatever you, you know, utterly destroy those before you. For you. But Saul decided that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spare the king. And I'm going to keep the, the sheep because we can make a great sacrifice to God. But that was not the commandment. That is not what God told him to do. And then, you know, you probably know the story. But, you know, Samuel ends up saying to Paul, obedience is better than sacrifice. So, you know, we can be there going along our merry little way, thinking we're doing this, that and the other for the Lord. But the question is, are you being obedient? Are you being obedient to the things the Lord says? Because that is the question. And here Paul is saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And the words in the Lord here are very important also. Firstly, because it suggests that children are to obey their, obey their parents just as their parents are also obeying the Lord and setting the right example and giving the right instructions to their children. And so, as parents are doing these things and children are seeing the example, it's only right that they would follow that example. But if a parent is encouraging a child to do something which is contrary to God's word, then obviously, you know, God's word will supersede the instruction of the parent. You know, if a parent is telling their child, come on, let's, let's, let's go and rob a bank. Or let's go and do something to that person over there. Then obviously you wouldn't do it. I wouldn't encourage you to do it. And so, obeying our parents in the Lord. And the words in the Lord also has this added aspect to it which is very very interesting because it specifically connects the parent-child relationship to its association with Christ Jesus you see the family unit husbands wives children you know it has a direct and unique relationship to Christ Jesus Now, in the Old Testament, we see the pattern because God the Father had a direct and specific parent-child relationship with the nation of Israel. And God built his expectations into the law of God. And he built it into the law that basically said that a child's relationship to God as the Almighty was mediated through the parents. So as a child was obeying their parents in the Old Testament, they were in fact demonstrating that they were obeying God. And equally, if they were not obeying their parents, then this was clear evidence that they were rebelling against God. And so... Under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, God took this very seriously. And he made it clear that he wasn't playing with unruly children. Even to the point that towards stubborn and rebellious children, he had laws that were punishable by death. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 18. It says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not 
obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. And who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them. Interesting, because the parents seem to have been going through this process of trying to reason with the child, trying to teach their child, trying to chasten their child. But the child just won't have it. They won't listen. Okay, let's carry on. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. So again, here we see that this is not a child. It's not an infant. Because they've got the ability to be a drunkard here. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. Wow. What if we had a few of those laws right now? Okay. Well, that's just too rebellious and gluttonous and um, children just won't obey your voice, isn't it, Lord? Well, let's see what else the Lord has to say about children. Exodus chapter 21, verse 15. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Wow. Wow. Okay, so if you are abusive, physically abusive to your parents, God had a standard for that. Put them to death. Interesting. Okay, anything else? What about verbally abusive towards your parents? Exodus chapter 21 verse 17. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. You see... Children's obedience to their parents, as far as God the Father was concerned, as far as God Almighty is concerned, was a major thing. And as we look at this in terms of types, as shadows, as pictures, it's basically saying that if a child is doing these things to their earthly parents, then they were also doing these things to their heavenly parents. God was setting a standard. You see, when he took the nation of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt, out of the darkness of Egypt, he wanted to establish his kingdom, his principles. And so he laid it down straight away. I will not tolerate unruly children. And in the New Testament, God expects the same thing. So aren't we glad that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament? Aren't we glad about that? Well, no, he's not. He's the same God. But we should be thankful because through the cross, we don't have these penalties and judgments dangling over our heads. Through the cross, we have grace. Through the cross, we have grace, unmerited favor, which we don't really understand or comprehend exactly what this grace is. This unmerited favor. That instead of us taking these punishments, the Father had one who took the punishment for us. His son, who wasn't an unruly son, but he took the punishment of all unruly children. Interesting. And Paul says that, you know, we should appreciate this grace. And he gives us three reasons why we should be thankful to God. And we should be children who do the basic thing of obeying our parents. And the first reason is, he says, for this is right. Or this can also be translated, for this is righteous. You know, God could have just stopped there. He said, it's right. You've said it, Lord. Amen to that. But we know that it's right naturally because as we've considered, you know, briefly, 
Romans tells us that we know these things within ourselves. It's written on our hearts to be obedient to our parents. We see that it's God's natural order of things. We see it in creation. We know that we had Adam, Eve, and then children. It's right because, you know, we just look at the family unit and we know that the, the basic principle of a child being subordinate to their, their parents is just built within the structure of all family life. And that children, even if they've come to an age where they're teenagers and they think they know it all, they don't know it all. They think because they've had a few experiences in life that maybe they know more than their parents and they say, but mom, dad, you just don't understand. Well, yes, they do understand. Because they didn't born big. And so children who are immature and inexperienced in life itself, you know, should submit to the authority of their parents who are older and wiser. So Paul says it's, it's right on a natural level. And he also says that it's right on a spiritual level. And as I said before, for the simple reason, because God says so. And God's word is always right. And because his word is always right, his desire is that we would enjoy the benefits of being obedient to his word. That we would enjoy those benefits, not just naturally, but spiritually also. That we would enjoy these benefits with our whole being, spirit, soul and body. It is right because God's word says it is right. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 9. It says, who is wise? Well, that's a good question. Well, let him who is wise understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. Know what? For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in. So we see principles here. God's word is right and it's always going to be right. In the Psalms, Psalm 119 verse 28, it says, Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. That's what the psalmist says. And so when God says, obey, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right... It's right. And there's so many verses within the scriptures which highlight the same principle. And so that's the first reason. The second reason that the Apostle Paul gives us as to why children should, be obey, should obey their parents is because it is scriptural, as I've just touched upon. But Paul gets very specific here. And he goes back to the Ten Commandments. He goes back to God's law. And interestingly, he links aspects of Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 with Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16. Now, I don't know if you know, but Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 is where the Ten Commandments were first given on Mount Sinai. Where God came down, there's thunders and there's lightning. And the whole of the children of Israel got shook. And they said, yo, Moses, we don't want to go up to God. You go up to God and you tell us what God has to say. So, that's the first issuing of the Ten Commandments. And then the second is found in Deuteronomy. Because this was where... It was issued just before the children of Israel were going to go into the promised land. They were going to go into the land of Canaan. And so what Moses does now, he, he readdresses the law and he expands the law. So again, nation of Israel, don't get it twisted. This is God's law. And we know as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, we know that based upon the old covenant, you know, 
there was blessings and curses. It was conditional. It was a conditional covenant. If you do this, you get blessed. If you do that, you won't get blessed. You'd be cursed. And so, the commandments were speaking about being obedient to God, but it was also speaking about the blessings for obedience. As the nation, as I've said, went into the physical land of Canaan. But Paul doesn't use the word land here. He mentions earth at the end of verse 3. And he uses the word earth because the redemptive work of Christ Jesus is not just limited to a specific geographical location. It's beneficial for the whole earth. For every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And so in verse 2 he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So instead of focusing on the judgments that could be incurred through disobedience, the Apostle Paul highlights the promises of God and the grace of God that are to be enjoyed through obedience. Now, as a side note, the Ten Commandments were written on two tablets of stone. And many believe that this consisted of four commandments written on one tablet of stone. And these commandments specifically related to man's responsibility to God. And the other six commandments were written on the second tablet of stone. And these related specifically to the duty of mankind towards each other. Amen? Anybody heard that before? Four on one, six on the other? You're allowed to answer me. Okay. Not sure who said yes and who said no there. <laughs> Hands up for yes. Hands up for no. Hands up if you're not sure. Okay. We'll get there. All right. Then. Well, there's two views. First view, as I just said, that there were four on one, specifically related to God, six on the other, specifically related to mankind and their relationship towards each other. Amen? Right. But the Jews didn't view it in this way. They saw this even split of five and five. Okay? And this is interesting, if this is the case. Because if it was an even split of five and five, then this commandment of honoring our father and mother would be on the first tablet. That specifically related to our responsibility to God. And if this is the case, this would further highlight the significance and importance of a child's relationship towards their parents as being a reflection of their relationship to God the Father. So the fifth commandment, in a sense, bridges both tablets. It bridges the two and it highlights the bedrock of all family life where children are to be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And as they do this, this will provide the basis for a stable society. And you know, if, if, we, if this is the case, if we consider it in this way, then it makes sense to me why God would be so exact with his judgments regarding unruly children. It makes sense to me because it's in direct relationship. It's in direct, it's, it's, it's a direct picture of children's relationship towards him. And in a sense, what it is saying is, you know, if you're disobedient Towards your parents, again, you are in fact being disobedient to God. And disobedient children will be tomorrow's disobedient adults. 
And so if left to their own devices, you know, disobedient children will only destroy family lives and they will destroy the fabric of society. And this is exactly what we are basically seeing in our modern culture. Disobedient children doing their own thing without a care in the world. They have no restraints. They have no, well, they have a morality, but, but morality, what's the best way of explaining this? Morality, it only goes to its highest principle, if that makes sense. So if, you, if your morality is that, you know, it's okay to rob and cheat and steal, well, that's your morality. If you've never been taught anything else, that's your morality. But if you have the information you've been taught that lying, robbing, cheating and stealing is wrong and there's consequences to it, then you're going against what your moral value is. You're willfully disobeying that. And, you know, we can say, you know, children just unruly. They're bad mind. They don't have a regard for authority or anything. But you know what? They potentially did not have a parent to instill those values in them. So it comes back to the parents in so many ways. You see, even in this country, we can say that we have the, the sexual revolution of the 60s. You know? And we can see what that's, that's, that's gave up, given us. You know, in the 50s, you know, it, was, it wasn't so common for, to see multiple divorces. And, you know, and, and the, the argument could be that people were in unhappy marriages. But they were in marriages. They were sticking at it. The, the framework of society was more stable. And so... God looks at children obeying their parents, you know, it's important. It's a major thing to him. And before we get to the commandments of, you know, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, do not lie. All those things there. Before we get to, we have obey your parents. Because if we have parents instilling the right values and the right principles within children, then we wouldn't have these things. We shouldn't have these things. And you know, again, as I said, if, if we had serious laws for children and serious consequences for children, if they were unruly, disobedient to parents, you know, what would... What would our society look like today? You know, I, I actually came to this school. And when I started coming here, they just got rid of corporal punishment. <laughs> I wasn't a bad kid anyway. But, but look, I'm not, I'm not talking about abuse here. But knowing that teachers had respect... And that teachers could get along and do their job. And, you know, children will come in knowing that they, they respected the teacher who was there to teach them. You know, as opposed to now, who you think you are? You're not my mum. You're not my dad. You can't tell me nothing. I ain't listening to you. What kind of attitude is that? I much prefer to have the weight of corporal punishment. To say, if you step out of line, I'm happy for you to whoop that kid. That's just my opinion. God's word backs me up. Beat that kid with a rod. Because you, if you beat him, he shall sh surely not die. But you shall beat him. And drive that sin out. Look through Proverbs. I'm sure you can find some more. But we live in a nanny state. Just got to talk to your child, innit? 
talk to them, innit? And I believe in talking to your child, you know, but when it comes to the point where they're totally disobedient, I'm not talking about abuse here, come on. Yeah? But there is a place for it. And God just sees children who, who are obedient, you know, he just places such a high value of it, on it. And he says that be obedient to your parents and honor your parents. So children should be honoring their parents, which means to place a high value, a high price upon your parents. It means to acknowledge, you know, the Greek word is tomeo, which means to acknowledge your parents' God-given authority and stewardship over you. You know, we as parents, you know, we have children, they are our children, but then again, they're not our children, they're the Lord's children. We have a stewardship over their life. And our responsibility is to train them up in the, in, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is our responsibility. And children have that responsibility to be reverent, to honor, to respect their parents. And again, you know, God places such a high value on it that he, he links it to his holiness. He links it to his very being. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you, who? Everyone. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So he connects his holiness and keeping his day holy with make sure you respect and honor your parents. Interesting. And then the Apostle Paul goes on and he says, you know, honoring our mother and our father, our father and our mother, you know, it, it's the first commandment with promise. There's promises attached to it. Now, when the text says it's the first commandment with promise, you know, if you are a student of the word, you would perhaps say to me, well, there's a few problems there, Patrick. Because the second commandment, of Exodus chapter 20 verse 6. This also has a promise attached to it. So how can this be the first commandment of promise? And my answer to that would be, well, it is the first commandment of rank in relation to our social duty towards each other. An example I give is in Mark chapter 12 verse 28. And this example is when the scribe Ask Jesus, teacher, which is the first commandment of all? And the Lord's answer wasn't, I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. But Jesus said, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. But Jesus didn't stop there. He went on and said, and the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And he said it because that encapsulated all of the commandments. If you're, if you're loving the Lord thy God with, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, then you will be treating your neighbor as yourself. You would be fulfilling the rest of them. And so, when Paul is writing that this is the first commandment of promise, he's saying that it's the, it's the first commandment with this social promise towards each other, but it starts in the family. The importance of the family, the family unit. And then he gives us the third reason why children should obey their parents in the Lord. And this is found in verse 3, where it says that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And so the promises that are given are 
this positive motivation for all children to do well. You know, and if I know there's a few teachers in the house, it's a bit like, you know, having that star, that sticker system. You know, children come in, they do a good bit of work, you get a sticker. You go to the dentist and you don't cry, they give you a little badge. Only my dentist? Only me? Okay. You're all brave. You don't cry in the dentist, I know. Anyway. So, the promise is outlined as being twofold. A twofold benefit of quality of life and quantity of life. And so, as we look at this, you know, it's interesting because, you know, is this saying that if you're obedient to the Lord and, and that, you know, you're following the Lord and everything, you're obedient to your parents, that you're going to have, you're promised to have a long life? Is it promising that? And in so many ways, I believe that it's speaking about something deeper than that. And it's speaking of a quality of life that is based on knowing that you are secure in the love of the Lord. Secure, whether you have a long life, whether your life is not so long. You are secure in God's love. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 says, you know, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword You know, these things here, you know, the Apostle Paul experienced many of these things here. Reminds me of of when he was in in, in, in the jail in Philippi. And what happened there? He had experienced many of these things, but he was in the prison. He was in, I think, the inner prison of the prison, chained up. And he was still able to sing psalms. And sing to the praises of God's name. Wow. So he's not worried about quantity of life here. Or quality of life here. He's secure in knowing who his God is. And for me that is the deeper principle here. And it goes on to say as it is written. For your sake we are all killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus It's beautiful. It takes things into another dimension. And it's also a quality of life in the sense that it may involve material gain. But it's not dependent on material things. Because 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6, it tells me godliness... With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing. With these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich. Fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. So godliness with contentment is is great gain. And so we have this quality of life. And the second benefit is quantity of life. Which, yes, it's speaking about physical life on the earth. But, you know, as I consider these things, 
I believe it goes beyond just speaking about life in this body as we know it. You see, you know, Paul's going to start speaking about spiritual things that we don't just fight against and wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. He's going to start taking things into another dimension. And as believers, we would all agree that, you know, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That we, our lives isn't just for now, but it's to be with God in eternity. Amen? That wasn't a strong amen. I don't know if you believe that. So, yes, it refers to these physical bodies, but it also refers to our redemptive bodies, which we will enjoy in the new heaven and the new, new earth. Romans 8, again, chapter 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I love the language. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. See, Paul's speaking about bigger things. I don't even know if you're mature enough to even comprehend these things. He's speaking about spiritual things. And he says that, you know, the basis, the foundation of all these things is within the family unit. It's where wives are relating to husbands the way they should be. It's where husbands are relating to wives the way they should be. It's where children are relating to their parents the way they should be. Because it's speaking about something bigger. But it has personal benefits to us. So children have this responsibility to obey their parents in the Lord. To honor and respect their parents for quantity and quality of life in Christ Jesus. And again. The way we demonstrate this to our earthly parents is a, is a reflection of how we're demonstrating this to our heavenly parent. And you know, the fact is, you know, we read these things and the reality is, is that we all come from different experiences. The fact is, you know, life we could say is very different now to, to when Paul wrote this epistle. You know, many of us were, were raised with not having positive parental figures. Many of us were raised in single parent homes. So this very concept of me saying, obey your parents in the Lord, you're, you're thinking, well, how do I do that? They weren't even there. Or they were a terrible example. How'd you do it? And you know, there's going to be so many variants that it's going to be impossible to address them one by one. But you know as an individual, you know how within your own situation you can honor your parent, be respectful to your parent. You're, we're all adults in here, so we've left the family home. Do you know what I mean? So isn't this a binge, you do what I say when I say it. But how can you still show some obedience, reverence towards your parent. You will know how to do that. For some of us, it's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a lot of deep-rooted hurts. There's going to be deep-rooted hurts, which, you know, when you're trying to pull out them roots and those weeds and everything, and it just goes down and down, and, and you've got to dig deeper and pull out those roots. Maybe some of you have to get on your face before the Lord and do that. 
Maybe. You know, in the book of John, close to the end, I think it's chapter 20, it says, whoever's sin is forgiven is forgiven. But whoever's sins are retained are retained. Now, what does that mean? Cryptic. What I believe that means is, if you go around harboring sin, unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone, that is, that, is, that is on you. That's on you somewhere along the line. However it works out spiritually, I don't know. But it's on you. But once you forgive and you say, I forgive, gone. Whoever's sins are forgiven are forgiven. Whoever's sins are retained, well, you hold on to them because you're carrying around that weight. And the Lord doesn't want you to carry around that weight. Now, does that mean you have to be all over your parents if they were bad parents? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there has to be a way where you can bring that forgiveness. Honoring your parents doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with them. You know, my relationship with my dad, I honor him, I respect him. I don't always agree with him. So we have to find these ways. It has, you know, the application of this has to be real in our worlds. Otherwise, it's just a good word, amen? And so, as children, you know, we have to find it within our hearts, within our minds, to honor our parents. Because they're our natural life source. If it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be here. And the reality is, is though, although they are our natural life source, God the Father is our spiritual source. He is our ultimate life source. And he's basically laying down a foundation saying, do you know what? As you relate to them, you're actually relating to me. And God is a good God. And that was a good opportunity for someone to say all the time. God is good. And so, as a father, as a heavenly father, you know, the Apostle Paul then turns in chapter 4 and addresses earthly fathers. Earthly fathers who need to be responsible in their leadership and their stewardship to teach their children in the ways that they should go. In the fear and admonition of the Lord. You know, fathers have this responsibility to, to train them up, to coach them. And so Paul gives us one verse and one statement for parents to raise their children. And he says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You see, if you are a parent and you're a parent of children, you know that your children are not the same. They're different. What works for one may not necessarily work for the other. And so you hear, you see, as he says, Bring them up in the training. You know, you have, to, you have to look at your child and say, you know, how do I, what, how, what makes my child tick here? What are the things they like? Are they sensitive? Have they got a lot of energy? You know, are they inquisitive? How do I, how do I nurture what's naturally there so it brings glory to God? It doesn't mean train them up and put them in a box over here. You see exactly what, you know, how they're built. And as a good coach, you start navigating and cultivating it. That's what it means. So as a coach, you meant to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Which means, you know, we need to be teaching our children the things of God. Teaching about creation because the world out there and the schools like this school is crying out evolution, 
evolution, evolution. We have to teach them about the wisdom of God. Taking them through the book of Proverbs, as I mentioned before. We have to teach them about the wonders and the beauty of the Lordship, the person of Jesus. Take them through the Gospels and let them see how Jesus just moves and deals with people. Teach them these things. Teach them about the future hope we have in Christ Jesus. Helping children to be confident in who they are and in what they believe in. You see, as we raise our children, children have a rough time. Just like, and we are children, so we get a rough time as well. Amen? But children grow up with these external pressures. As I said, when they're young, it's easy. Yes, daddy, no, daddy, yes, daddy, go and do it. Yes, you know, and we work it. They get to teenagers or something. No, I'm not doing it. I don't want to. You need to get out of bed. No, I'm not getting out of bed. You need to go and find a job. No, I don't want to go and find a job. You need to go to college. I don't want to go to college. You see, because they're influenced by two things. They're influenced by the sin nature, which is at work within them. And they're influenced by external pressures. They're brethrens. They're not going to college. They don't care about work. So they've got external pressures and internal pressures. Just like we've got external pressures and internal pressures. Children are not, the, they're the same. And so as parents, as a father, our responsibility is to evangelize our children. To teach them. Not provoke them, not knowing that, I oh, know, oh, I'm just going to wind them up. I know this annoys them, so I'm just going to annoy them. No, don't provoke them to wrath. Don't set them on that course where they're just going to be doing the wrong things. But you know what? Protect them. So that means as a parent, you may have to watch exactly what they're, vet what they're watching on TV. Vet what they're doing on the internet. You may have to see exactly who they're moving with, their friends. Because bad company corrupts. Good character. So all these things you're instilling and building and teaching and everything, it just takes a couple of brethren and brethren and brethren to come along. Undone. Train them up in the way that they should go because the reality is there's a possibility they'll get to their teenage years and they'll say, bun the Lord, bun the church. I don't want nothing to do with it. And so we have to make sure that we've instilled enough. And if we haven't, the place to be is on our knees before the Lord, crying out to him and saying, Lord, have mercy. Reality. You know, when children are born, they look so lovely and cute. And we go, and they look so beautiful and everything. But... I hate to say it, they are sinners. They have the sin nature within them. David said in Psalm 50, 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 53, 58, verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Romans chapter 3. There is none who is righteous. No, but what about that cute little baby? There is none who is righteous. No, not one. And it's the father's responsibility to train up the child, to instill God's principles, to instill. In fathers, parents, mothers, we all have the responsibility there. You know, not overexposing them to things which they are not equipped to handle. You know, you know, I'm guilty myself. It's like, you know, kids these days, they play COD, Call of Duty. But in reality, that's just, they're shooting up. They're getting desensitized to the fact that there's murder. There's killing happening. They're enjoying it. That 
what they're getting desensitized to. So now when, when you see a murder on, on a TV, it's, like, it's not a big thing. You know, when I was a kid and you used to watch the TV and, and you saw a man and a woman kiss on the TV, you used to kind of like turn and everything and your parents look at you and you, you start, you didn't see it, mummy, you didn't see it, daddy. <laughs> you know, but now, oh my goodness. Even before nine o'clock, there's dodgy stuff going on, a lie. I heard, I didn't watch it, Bertram, but I heard that Top Boy, Top, was that what it was called? I don't even want to watch them things there. Personally, I don't even, I don't even care if people are having a conversation and I don't know what they're talking about. Fine, I didn't watch it. I didn't need to watch it. You know, let that corrupt somebody else's mind. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's the reality of the street. I don't want to know that reality. I don't need to watch that to know the reality. I know, I can talk to people. And it's funny how it could be coincidence, I know I'm going off the point, but it's funny how they put that on the TV, and I understand because I've heard the conversations, I really didn't watch it. I understand that there was a scene where um, there was a funeral, and a couple of guys went to go and shoot someone at the funeral. Is that true? Right. And what happened the next day in Forest Hill, East Dulwich? There was a funeral, and one person got killed, and two people got shot at the funeral. Now, it could be coincidence, but it's on the night, it happens the next day. I don't know. But I'm just saying, they are not the things we need to be exposing our children to as parents. You know, there is a lot of weight in, in the argument of not having a television in your house. You know? And I, I would say, look, have the TV in your house, but you control it. You know, the TV is there, but you don't have to switch it on. You can control what is on it. But parents, we have to be mindful. And in closing, you know, two verses. In closing, I'm sorry that I've taken so long. But in closing, I won't go through the whole verse here, but Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, Oh, maybe I should. And it says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be like frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, that's the encouragement which God is giving towards parents in the Old Covenant. To train their children. To raise them up. That's the example. And the last thing I would like to leave us with today is the words of Joshua. And Joshua is basically a parent making a stand. And he says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. So the nation of Israel have come out of Egypt, and he's saying, you know what, if you want to go back and serve them gods which you were in Egypt, fair enough. You can go and do it. We're going into the promised land, and there are people worshipping other gods there. If you want to worship their gods as well, fair enough. But then he turns around and he says, but as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, because your word is good and your word is true. It's a word to us as children, because we are all your children, Lord, and we need to be obedient to you. But equally, Lord, it's a word to us as children obeying our natural parents, Lord, and knowing that is a reflection of our obedience to you. So help us, Lord, because we all have different situations. We all have different experiences. Maybe, Lord, there are many hurts 
that need to be addressed, Lord. And we thank you that you are the great physician, Lord. We thank you that nothing is impossible for you. We thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us, Lord, so it's only right that we should forgive also. So help us, Lord. Help us as, as we desire to do that. And Lord Jesus, um, I just pray that, you know, the things which we have considered today, Lord, that if we are parents, Lord, we can start putting into place. Maybe we've flopped. Maybe we haven't been good at training our children, Lord. But we know, Lord, that you're a loving and gracious God. And we know that there's always time to start, Lord. All things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to start putting things into place, even now, so that we could be the parents you want us to be, that we could be the children you want us to be, and that ultimately, Lord, we would serve you and serve you well. So um, continue to let these things resonate within our hearts and minds, Lord. And let us make the stand, just as Joshua made the stand and said, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Lord, we pray for these things in Jesus' name.